This series that we're entering into the next few weeks is called Follow Me. Jesus said that multiple times throughout the four books of the Bible we call the Gospels, first part of the New Testament. He kept going to people say, follow me, follow me, follow me. And we're going to talk about what does that mean to follow Jesus? And what does that look like? And this is something also we call discipleship. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple, to one who follows uh, Jesus. So we're going to be talking about that. And we're going to talk about the difference between being a consumer or, and a follower. There's a difference in the church between being a consumer of Christianity or a consumer of church or a consumer of whatever the product is and actual following Jesus, that sometimes we can confuse the two. Uh, take, for example, some Google reviews that we found online. Uh, here's some actual Google reviews of churches, and you can start to see some of this consumer mindset in some of the reviews. So the first review is this one. Four stars instead of five because there was no worship after the sermon. So it was like, okay, you didn't give me what I expected or what was on the worship menu, right? Uh, the next one is the worship leader looked like he just got done mowing the yard. So it's, obviously it's all about the worship leader's appearance. In fact, I've seen that guy lead worship before as well. But again, that's again, it's a, it's a, that's kind of a consumer mentality. Here's another one. Uh, just got bored quick. Just got bored quick. That has nothing to do with the worship experience. It has everything to do with the person coming to worship. As soon as they walk in, they got bored. Uh, number, uh, the next two go together, and so we'll read them uh, one after the other. The first one is, not very welcoming. No one said hello, goodbye, nothing. And then the next one is, we were not comfortable going to the front to hold hands and pray with others. So you can see in those two comments, those last two comments, that there's this you know, we want to be welcomes when we come. And then, then the other one was, well, we were too welcome. We were too included, you know. And so there's no way to know what people's expectations are. You know, people say it's too cold or it's too hot or there's too many people. Or there's not enough people. It was too young, too old, whatever it is. We're constantly saying things. And when we're in that kind of mindset, when we're coming with that mindset, we're actually being consumers of some of worship or consumers of a church. Multiple times throughout the years, there have been different catchphrases, you know, over the postmodern, missional, whatever it is. And often what we'll hear in the church is, well, that church is not fill in the blank, missional enough or postmodern enough or modern enough or traditional enough. And all that is a consumer mindset, like we're there to consume or to be spiritually entertained. And so that is part of what, how we recognize that. Following Jesus is not being a consumer. It's actually moving from being a consumer to being a contributor. And that's different. Rather than being passively consuming things, they were actually contributing to what God is doing in the world, and we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. So here's a great question that might move us from a consumer mindset to a contributor-follower mindset. Here's a great question. When have you reproduced another disciple? When have you reproduced another disciple? It's an important question. In fact, that's the question that Jesus is always asking the church and followers and disciples is, are you helping me make disciples? Are you helping me, Jesus, make other followers of Jesus? Because that is the fruit of discipleship. It's not the product. It's not how great the worship experience was at the synagogue last week. It's really about, are you helping make 
disciples of Jesus Christ? Are you sharing your faith with other people? And so that's really where Jesus is saying, you know, is there fruit on your tree? Are you making other disciples? That's the measure of discipleship. So it's not about how many worship experiences we have or how many Bible studies we've been to or how, much, how many books we've read or podcasts we've listened to or service opportunities we've attended to. None of that is really what it's about. It's about making other disciples. And we'll see that this discipleship, this phrase, follow me, we're going to look at this phrase over the next few weeks in each of the Gospels. Today, we're in the first Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're going to take a look at a, at a follow me passage where Jesus says, follow me to someone. And it's interesting because what's happening as we get in this passage, Jesus has preached a sermon uh, for, uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. You can go back and read it in chapters five through seven. And it's a great sermon. But one of the great things about the sermon is it's not just about knowledge or information about the scriptures, but it's about application and how we apply the scripture to our lives. And so that's a beautiful thing. Then he's also, so this attracts large crowds. He's also healing people of diseases and illnesses and and, uh, demon possessions. And so he's healing people, he's teaching people, and these large crowds of people are now gathering and being attracted to Jesus. And then in the midst of that, we get this passage where Jesus talks about following, follow me. So we're in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, just a few verses today. And uh, here's what Jesus says in chapter 8. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowd, he ordered his disciples to go over to the other side of the lake. A legal expert came and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and the birds in the sky have nests, but the human one has no place to lay his head. Another man, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So this invitation to follow Jesus is also met with, there's a cost. There's going to be a challenge to following Jesus. This is not going to be easy to follow Jesus. It's like if you or I ever go on a hike. Have you ever gone on a hike here in the area and you go check the trail guide, you check your trail app or whatever, you know, and so you'll go look on there. And so if we're going somewhere on a hike, one of the things I'll look at is elevation gain. Like how much elevation gain is there? Because that will tell me how hard this hike is going to be. So how long, how many miles am I going to have to hike? And then what's the elevation gain? So recently we did uh, Mount Si and went up to Mount Si and there was 3,400 feet of elevation gain. That's a lot. And so we knew it was going to be a steep climb. And so we knew it was going to be difficult. What Jesus is saying to these would-be disciples and disciple is this, check the elevation gain on discipleship. What does it cost? What is the difficulty rating on following Jesus? And what Jesus is saying is that there are going to be times it's not, it's going to be difficult. It's not just going to be passive, sit back in your pew uh, you know, consume experiences. It's actually going to be following Jesus. So what does that mean to be a follower of Jesus? To be a follower is this, to go or be in the same way with someone in thought and action. To be in the same way with someone in thought and action. So to be a follower of Jesus is to spend time with Jesus to learn how Jesus thinks and to act like Jesus acts. And so that's what discipleship is. We'll unpack that a little bit here this, this, in this message as well. The first thing 
if we're going to move from consumer to contributor, from just passive church member to disciple, then we need to think about some mental shifts. And here's the first mental shift that we would offer. One is that we move from seeking knowledge to application. That we move from seeking knowledge to application. The legal expert comes to Jesus. He's a scribe. He's got a lot of education. He is highly trained. He's an expert in the law. And this, what it means is the scriptural law, the Torah law. And so he understood these things. He had studied these things. He had studied under another rabbi. He had gone to school for this. He is highly educated. He's got a lot of knowledge about the scriptures. So he knew the scriptures inside and out. In fact, he probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized word for word, the first five books. So think about how much knowledge he had. He had a lot. But it doesn't mean, just because we have a lot of knowledge doesn't mean we're actually living that out. It doesn't mean we've actually applied it to our lives. Uh, I love this quote from Carrie Newhoff who says, I also think the average North American Christian is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. 3,000 Bible verses overweight. I think that's a great description of having a lot of knowledge without application, right? So when a person becomes a disciple, they would follow a rabbi. Not only would they memorize scripture, but the purpose of following a rabbi was to take that knowledge and learn how to live it out. It was to take all that scripture they had memorized and learn how to interpret it and learn how to apply it to their lives. That's why they followed a rabbi. And so this legal expert had already followed one rabbi. And Now he's saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go back to school with Jesus. I want to go back and learn from Jesus because obviously I've learned all this here, but Jesus is offering me something more than all the learning that I've done, which is why he wants to follow Jesus. And so Jesus has actually done this. In his Sermon on the Mount, he taught people the scriptures, but then he said, this is how they apply to your life. That's what rabbis would do, and that's what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the other thing about following a rabbi in the first century, is that you would totally surrender to their authority over your life, that you would spend every day with them daily in intimate relationship with them so that you could see how they thought and how they acted on a daily basis. So you spend a lot of time in community with that rabbi. And I think about the church too. The church is really not a place just to consume Christianity or faith. It's actually where we join together with other disciples on the same path with us. We're basically, we're all pilgrims on the same journey, and we're here to encourage each other in following Jesus and to be those disciples that God calls us to be. So it's not about consuming. We don't gather to consume. We gather to encourage one another, teach one another, to offer hospitality to one another, and build each other up to follow Jesus and to say, how are you doing following Jesus this week? How are you doing following Jesus this week? We ask each other that question and encourage each other in that. So that's part of where we need to move just from knowledge to application. The other mental shift that Jesus is challenging us to take in this passage is that we move from a place of comfort to a place of discomfort. Comfort to discomfort. That's what the legal expert is asking. You know, he's used to being a part of a rabbinical school 
where it was out of a synagogue or out of a school. There was a rabbi, there was a place to live, there was like a place to stay, a room that he could have or with others in community. And so there was a lot provided, you know, it's kind of like uh, going away to college and you have a dorm room and, and you have meals and all these things. So there were some rabbinical schools where you would have, those things would have been provided for you. But to follow Jesus, there, there, there's no room and board with Jesus. That this is couch surfing 101 with Jesus. He's saying, you, you're going to have no place to lay your head. You're not, this is not like your typical rabbinical school is what he's saying. We're going to travel around. We're going to go to where the needs are. We're going to be on mission the whole time. So you're not really going to have a place to lay your head. You're not going to have a really have a place to just study or have your own little study carol to accumulate knowledge. You, we're actually going to go practice what we're talking about, and we're going to go live among the people. And so that's Jesus's challenge here to the scribe, is like, this isn't going to be comfortable. This is not, this is going to be, we're going to be on the move, and this is going to be very uncomfortable compared to what you already experienced in your first discipleship. So I love that the scribe wants to go back to school and reintroduce himself to following Jesus. Jesus has challenged him to think about, okay, what's the cost? How difficult is this path going to be? Check the elevation gain on this particular journey. And it's about moving the scribe, the legal expert, out of their comfort zone to practice their faith. And one of the things to go back to our original question is, you know, have we made another disciple? To do that can be uncomfortable, right? How often do we share our faith or have a spiritual conversation with someone? And I think the reason that we don't sometimes is because it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus is going to move us. Discipleship will move us out of that comfort zone into some places and conversations that may be uncomfortable for us. I remember before I was a pastor, before I went to seminary, I began to share my faith with other people. I remember one of the first times I had a spiritual conversation, I shared my faith with another person. They were telling me about their life and everything that was going on in their lives, and they were discouraged about some things and and feeling like, you know, just kind of lost, kind of uh, just not, things were not falling into place for their life. And we were talking about that, and they were sharing some things with me about how they wanted to make some changes in their life about what was going on. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, hey, Matt, you need to bring God into this conversation. You need to, and, and I remember feeling really uncomfortable about that. I felt really awkward about it. And eventually I just said, I just asked the simple question. I asked, I said, have you ever thought about bringing God into your life? Have you ever thought about having God be a part of your life? And they're like, you know, I've never thought about that. And then we had this great spiritual conversation about their relationship with God and where God was in their life. And it ended with us praying together and for them to invite Jesus into their life and to give their life to Jesus and to become a follower of Jesus themselves. And it was a beautiful thing. But notice that I had to get over my own discomfort and move into this place of being uncomfortable for the Holy Spirit to work in my life and also in their lives. The beautiful thing and the thing I love about, remember about that is that as we prayed after we prayed together and we walked away together, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a pack of cigarettes and threw it in the trash can. And I knew right then that this wasn't something he was just going to talk about. This was something that God was doing in his life. He actually wanted to change some things about his life. And so it was a beautiful thing that God was doing in his life, but it also took both of us out of our comfort zones 
to do that. So that's the other thing is Jesus saying is you're going to be uncomfortable at times when you follow Jesus. It's going to be uncomfortable. The elevation gain, you know, if you're ever on a hike and you're going up a steep hill, it's uncomfortable, but you know it's worth it. You know it's worth it when you get to the place that you're going. So the other thing that's going on here is the other would be, actually it says that they're a disciple, but they, add, they talk about following Jesus, but they say to Jesus, first let me go bury my dad. And we don't know whether the person's father has already passed away. We, we don't know whether he's still alive. It could be that the dad was still alive, and he's basically saying to Jesus, well, let me go take care of some family concerns and some obligations I have, and then when all those family obligations are taken care of, then I'll follow you. Then I'll continue to follow you. And I think a lot of times what he's, what he's saying is like, well, when the time is right, when, when it's convenient for me to follow you, then when the, you know, when the conditions are right, then I'll follow you. And I think about that, that's, a, that's what Jesus is confronting, is saying, no, there, there's never going to be a time that the conditions are right. There's always going to be a reason for you not to follow. You know, a lot of times we think, well, when I retire, then I'm really going to do this. Or when, I, you know, when the kids get older, then I'll do this. And we say these things, and really what we're saying is, you know, when it's convenient for me, or when the time is right, or when the conditions are right, then I'll do that. What Jesus is saying, the time is now. There's an urgency to what Jesus is saying. In fact, Jesus actually challenges him to put discipleship above his own family. And so what seems very reasonable becomes very radical. And that's the other shift. We need to move from reasonable to radical allegiance of, for, to following Jesus. And a lot of times we don't always make that move or that shift from what's reasonable because the man's request was very reasonable to what Jesus was asking, which was radical allegiance even over your family. That's a challenge. I know it's even a challenge for the church at times to follow Jesus, to not to just want to stay in that place of when it's the conditions are right. And sometimes the conditions are right, right before us. And there's an urgency to it. There's a time when uh, I was invited to preach at a church and I got to the church early and the person that met me there wanted to give me a tour of the church. And so I said, sure, that'd be great. And so the, one of the first places he, took, he took, us out, took me out to the back of the church, and it was this big, they had uh, quite a bit of green space outside of their church, and it was just a big open green field. And then there was a road at the end of the field, and then across the road were new homes being built. And what was happening in that community around the church is that in the next five years, 10,000 new people were going to move into the neighborhood right next to that church. In fact, surrounding that church, 10,000 people are going to be living. And so he was showing me this green space, and he said, you know, and he showed the, showed the, said, you know, the new homes that are being built across the street. And he says, so we've decided we're going to put up a privacy fence across our lawn. So we don't, we don't want people walking through our church property. So we're going to put up a privacy fence so that people don't walk through. And then we went around to the other side of the building, and showed, he showed me the cemetery. And he was really proud of the cemetery because they had just refurbished, you know, mowed the grass and did the weed eating and put flowers out and, and restored some of the headstones on the burial plots. And so he thought it was really proud that they had invested, you know, you know, thousands of dollars in this and invested in this. And then we got into the church building and we were in the, the gather, the, the hall, or the church hall. And on the, he went over to a, a big frame piece of, 
uh, work on the wall was, was a map of the cemetery. And he was talking about how all the work that they had done on the cemetery, all the time and money they invested in restoring it. And not only that, but they had memorialized it in this big painting or big piece of artwork, picture, whatever, on their wall of their church building. And I immediately thought of this passage, this passage that Jesus is having this conversation. See, what had happened is the church had stopped thinking about others, about making disciples. They were more about, they were more about spending time restoring a graveyard than welcoming the 10,000 people moving into their, new, their neighborhood. They wanted to keep the people out so they could preserve the dead. And this passage immediately came to my mind. One thing that I did suggest, I said, you know, you might think about putting a gate on that fence so that people could come in and put a welcome sign on that gate to let people know that they are welcome to come to your church. That might be a good idea, right? That might be a good idea to actually think about those living people in our world rather than worrying about our cemetery. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Let the dead bury their own dead. And notice in Gospel of Luke, Jesus adds these words to the same thing that's happening. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of God's kingdom. Go spread the news of God's kingdom. Our job is not to worry about the dead. It's to go spread the news of God's kingdom to the people around us, to whatever mission field, whatever neighborhood we find ourselves in. Our role as disciples is to move out to share that good news with others. Here's a great example. I want to share a video today, a testimony, a God story for you from one of our pastors here. Pastor Joe is going to share with us about what God was doing in his life. We're looking ways for ways to reach out these days when we're uh, housebound. So a few days ago, I went out to the neighborhood uh, site called Next Door, where there are about 670 subscribers from our neighborhood here in Kentwood, around Kentwood High School. I posted a real simple message. I entitled it Reaching Out, and I mentioned I was a retired pastor, and if anybody wanted uh, someone to pray with or read scripture with, I'd be willing to reach out to them uh, confidentially. I left my phone number, my email, and they could contact me. I had over 90 responses, all positive. A lot of uh, smiley faces in the emails and uh, hearts and a few conversations by phone and by email. I want to mention three of them in particular. First was a woman who emailed me and asked me to pray for her parents in Europe. Her mother had just donated a kidney to her father and a kidney transplant, and she was concerned about uh, their safety, and she also asked me to pray about the torment she was going through in her marriage of 22 years uh, and to pray for her and her husband. The second uh, caller was a young man who said he was a believer. He wanted me to pray with him for protection for his family and also for temptation he was experiencing during idle time. The third person is the one I really want to mention to you. Uh, he texted me first and then called me later. He's a 75-year-old Vietnam vet. He put his wife in a care facility about six weeks ago with MS and uh, advanced dementia. He's alone. He's, 
He's uh, scared and he's desperate for someone to talk to. He asked if I could come over and sit with him. So I did. Uh, armed with Carol's uh, homemade chicken noodle soup, I went over to his uh, little house, sat across from him at his kitchen table and shared with him from John chapter 10 about the abundant life that Jesus offers us. And I'm happy to, re to report today that he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And we've already begun some follow-up reading through the Gospel of John together. So join me in praying for him. I just want to encourage you that people are open today like they haven't been in previous times. Uh, they're open to a soft approach. And I want to encourage you to be bolder and um, more vulnerable in your outreach to people around you. So we're thankful for Joe and thankful for people like you too who are reaching out to other people around you. Joe did give me an update recently about his friend and uh, his friend has uh, become a part of a church uh, down in the Kent area and also was just recently baptized. So we celebrate with him what God is doing in his life as well uh, and what God's doing. And notice that really what was it was Joe just being making himself available to others. Joe's willingness to be a disciple and to share his faith and to make other disciples in the world around him, right in his own neighborhood. And that's really what God's also asking us to do as well. So I want to invite us to pray together this morning. Let's pray together.